This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening. This is Inside Story with Lee Tree Lin and Sharad Kutten. Tonight, have you ever considered becoming a vegan or a vegetarian? We're asking this as Veganuary turns 10 this January and conversations about plant-based eating have become more mainstream. So we want to know, have you ever considered a radical shift in your lifestyle and what would nudge you into actually doing it? That number to call is 7733-2900. You can tweet us at BFM Radio and send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899. This is Inside Story. Six oh nine. So, firstly, settle a debate. Would you say veganuary or veganuary? Me? No, I'm asking everybody <laughs> because um, we have a difference of opinion. Although now, as I'm saying it, I'm I'm being brought over to the the veganuary side. I have to say. Yeah, the veganuary. I think it's more. Um, so because it fixes it on the month, right? And the idea, because this is, I mean, they're not the only campaign, I think, <laughs> globally that tries to make a month of something. Okay, so in case you're wondering what we're talking about, Veganuary is an annual event. It's 10 years old this month, uh, where people challenge themselves to take on a vegan diet throughout the month of January. It is nearly the end, so we thought that now is a good a time as any to check in. It's sort of a semi-resolution, how are things going kind of show, but also specifically focusing on things like, um, you know, making a, a dedicated change to your life, especially when it comes to your diet. Because the thing is that if we look at plant-based eating, it has gone really mainstream over the years. Um, and perhaps no small uh, no small amount of it, no, or no small amount of the credit would go to events like this that raise awareness. Yeah, uh, I think there's also this other thing about the vegan option is it is not simply about food, right? I mean, the food is the uh, easiest I think, entry point for it, but because uh, it includes things like a not uh, using animal byproducts, uh, leather, a whole range of things, which actually makes veganism much more radical an option than, say, vegetarianism. Because you can maintain a lot of stuff uh, that other people do and use and don't even think about uh, wh- while being a vegetarian. But, you know, once you're a vegan, it's a dedication to a... A, a kind of philosophy, I think, of life. It is. Uh, and I think what's interesting about it in some ways is also that people have a variety of reasons for why they do it. So um, the, I guess the common or, or the old-fashioned version of things was that people thought of vegans as um, primarily doing it for animal welfare. And I think a lot of people do uh, for that reason. Others do it for, for health. Um, others do it for environmental reasons. So Actually, in terms of why it is your entry point into into joining um, or into choosing to eat plant-based, um, there are so many different ways to, to look at it. And then I think those are also the things that keep people locked into the choice because in a way, the strength of your convictions is born not really from the, the day-to-day stuff, but actually from the reason you did it in the first place. Um, we had a conversation about this earlier. You are neither a vegan nor a vegetarian, nor am I. Um, although we both actually really do enjoy vegetarian food, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I enjoyed vegetables and then also vegetarian food. And I grew up, at least part of my life, with an aunt who was a vegetarian because of her Hindu beliefs, right? So the, it was always in the air. But, you know, to be honest, Lynn, the reason I changed uh, and I did become a vegetarian for about four years was uh, the Smiths and their <laughs> album Meet His Murder. And so I was, you know, as a young person, taken up by the fashion of the day. And it was fine. I I think, uh, you know, it it, it was easy, especially in Asia, it's really easy to become a vegetarian. Being a vegan, though, I think is much more difficult because there are things that um, go into, say, a vegetarian diet that you can't take as a vegan, right? You can't take ghee, for instance. Yeah, or honey. Yeah, yes. so, which is shocking, right? And then you think, oh my God, what are the substitutes? But I think, but but the base of it, I think with, with me, I think the attraction is a certain philosophy, an understanding of planetary limits with resources. And, you know, you think, wow, you know, 
my generation, we're going to save the planet. And so I became a vegetarian. So the reason why I'm asking about the, the motivations behind it is because the our conversation today is kind of focused on two things. One is the whole notion of making a, a big dietary or lifestyle change, right? For instance, um, at least in the under the frame of veganuary, becoming a vegan or becoming a vegetarian at the very least. Um, so that's one aspect of it. We'd like to know, essentially, have you ever done it? Are you a vegetarian? Or have you ever thought about making this kind of change? The other side of it, though, is if we look at it from the point of view of a campaign, um, the question does become whether positive campaigns appeal more to people than negative campaigns. So Veganuary and PETA are very different. You know, PETA is more along the, the Smiths, meat is murder. <laughs> you know, that, that tends to be the perspective. Um, Veganuary is much more gentle in its proselytizing. It, it's much more positive and, you know, they, they try very hard for inclusion. And they <coughs> think, or, or the founders of it think at least, that that's partly why it's become more appealing. Yeah, and you know what we said initially about just how mainstream this conversation has become, right? Uh, and globally, and how the technology around alternatives has developed. Uh, despite a kind of rich history in vegetarian cuisine in Asia, I think there's there, all these other options that have come out. And I think you know Instagram is full of all the wonderful and exciting and beautiful and tasty things you can <laughs> you can you you know you can dance with. And this is what the positive campaign is about. It's like saying you. This is not, um, you know, this is not an option for deprivation and misery. This is about enjoying life to the fullest, but in a very different way with very different consequences. And I think, you know, I think people co can come on board on the issue of consequence. They don't necessarily want to uh, offload all the pleasures they have in life. So we are talking about eating plant-based, um, in other words, being a vegan or a vegetarian, and asking you whether you've ever considered, well, doing this specifically, but also just a radical shift in your lifestyle, what would nudge you into actually doing it? A more positive message or a more scoldy message? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. When we come back, um, we'll be back, of course, for your thoughts, but we're also going to be listening to an interview that was conducted earlier this month by The Bigger Picture. Uh, they spoke with Davina Go, who is a plant-based lifestyle advocate. So that'll be coming your way right after this. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Brainy, fancy material. BFM 89.9. It is 6.16 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sherrod. We're talking today about Veganuary, um, a campaign that's been running for 10 years, uh, where people challenge themselves to take on a vegan diet throughout the month of January with the idea of getting more people accustomed to it, um, maybe even transitioning to going fully plant-based. And we want to know, have you ever considered a radical shift in your lifestyle, including becoming a vegan or a vegetarian? And then the other side of it is, what would nudge you into actually doing it? Positive messaging or shameful messaging? <laughs> <laughs> Let us know. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, earlier this month, uh, The Bigger Picture actually spoke with Davina Go, who is a plant-based lifestyle advocate um, and she came on to talk about veganuary and veganism. We've got some clips from that conversation. So one of the things that they spoke about was advocating for veganism from the perspective of food culture and why that might work, especially in Malaysia. Advocacy of eating healthier and eating more of a plant-based um, diet mm -hmm. has to be culture-specific. It has to be country-specific. So I've realised that... Um, even though we are one of the, Malaysia is one of the unhealthiest countries in Southeast Asia, like every other person, like 50% of the population is either overweight or obese. Mm -hmm. Even that glaring fact is not good and is not validating enough for people to make the switch. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, like what you have mentioned, food in Malaysia, the culture is is interwoven with our DNA. You know, it's it's so there's so much enmeshment mm. of our attachment to food and that's something you just cannot break away. That was when I realized, oh, so I can't talk about cruelty towards animals, not yet, because mm. our culture is not 
is not attuned to that. You know,、mm. we can't. I can't even talk. I can't talk about the environment. I can't talk about well, not to say that I can't, but not many people resonate with that enough to start to make、um, lifestyle changes.、Mm. But I can talk to them about food, and everybody in Malaysia, everyone in Malaysia, does not not love food. And it is、um, so. That's the language I speak. So,、mm. food advocacy, I realized, is as much of an important form of getting people to to learn、uh, what veganism is about and how it can be for Malaysians too. She also pointed to the buffet of choice that Malaysians have when it comes to local vegan ingre- ingredients. I've never been much. More of a foodie, actually, mm, mm. because now my palate is、um, accustomed to being staying curious and exploring the the plethora of the plant-based kingdom. And there are so many flavors to explore. I, and I know that I've only just scratched the surface, even though I've been vegan for eight years.、Mm-hmm. Like this, it never stops being exciting. Generally, in Uh, we get dictated by the Western narrative、mm. of plant-based living, which、mm-hmm. is like, yeah, the burgers, the hot dogs, the pizza. When we, as Malaysians, we have such a beautiful narrative of Malaysian veganism that we can own and spread to the world. We have, we are spoilt for choice with ingredients and spices and herbs, and. Things that the West is envious of, like、um, like nangka muda, which、mm. we can just get in the local pasar down the street when they have to buy it in a can. Yep, you know, like pandan, which is the the new vanilla, you know, and all these ulam, which is actually they are actually superfoods too. We don't need to rely on Western superfoods like quinoa and kale. We have pagaga, we've got selom, we've got ulam raja. So, I think when we start shifting our Lenses, not just not not only put on vegan lenses, but put on Malaysian vegan lenses.、Mm. Then that is when you can、uh, learn that veganism in Malaysia can be convenient. It can be accessible. It can be tasty. It can it can apply to the Malaysian palate as well. And of course, when it comes to making this shift, a big part of it has to do with society and culture, and it starts at home. Here, Davina talks about having conversations about being a vegan with her family. Wow! So it took a long time for me to accept that I'm going to be a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> I've caused a lot of rifts in my family, and that was when I discovered that this journey of me becoming vegan, which I had no idea I would,、mm-hmm. you know, embark on, is also a journey that everyone is taking with me. It's not just you. It's not just me, and it's because of you know our culture is so is so、um, is so tightly knit. In the family unit, so、mm. I had to、mm-hmm. realize that I need to put my foot down in order for me to get what I need and what I want out of my life, and for me to live my authentic self.、Um, I'm gonna have to say I will not eat this anymore.、Mm. There's gonna be no more leeway. And once I did that, I you know you have to really dig your heels in the sand and just you know. Deal with the discomfort by you know with with everyone else and them projecting you know their discomfort towards you, and like oh you know but I did this for you I cooked this for you and um I think I sat with that for about a year or two until、mm-hmm. my mother realized like oh my gosh there's no way I'm gonna change my daughter <laughs> I guess I'm just gonna have to cook mushrooms for her today、mm-hmm. instead of chicken um and I think when she noticed the joy. That I was expressing to her, and the gratitude、mm. of her having to shift her own、um, her own approach towards cooking for me.、Mm. That was when the ball started rolling for the both of us, and that completely healed our relationship as mother and daughter.、Mm. So now she has learned how to veganize all the food that I used to love when I was a child. And since the focus of our conversation today is about advocacy, we also wanted to hear what Davina had to say about that. Here's her discussing how or discussing influencers who are pushing the conversation forward. What inspired them to make the shift? I have a friend of mine, a vegan friend. Oh, he's a he is a strongman, and he's like pulled trucks、wow. with his body. <laughs> so it's really he, dispelling the myth that you know you're you're weak if you go yeah, vegan.、Right? No, yeah, yeah. Some people, I mean, and you yourself as well. <laughs> yes, yeah. Some people do it because they want to enhance their athletic performance.、Mm. But my strongman friend started out being vegan because he read up on 
the energy conversion of raising animals for meat and realize this is the most inefficient way of distributing global dietary energy. Mm. And if I can afford to not contribute towards um, uh, world hunger, I will do that. Mm. And that's why he went vegan. Mm. And that was overnight. And finally, are more people actually open to trying this out? And how much of it has to do with talking more about it? Incorporating that part of your values and your identity into conversations, then people will naturally say, oh, my auntie's a vegetarian, she goes here. Mm. Oh, my, my girlfriend's a vegan and she loves making this kind of food. So... Once you put it out there, then you start accumulating this catalogue of how to cook, where to eat, um, and who your vegan friends are. Mm. There's not many of us, um, <laughs> but when you put us all into a room, it's a house party, like a <laughs> humongous house party. Mm. Like every time I go to um, a gathering, mm. uh, nowadays in the past year or two, always new people popping up, new vegans, families, regardless of um, of uh, creed, you know, race, background, like all sorts of Malaysians are coming out mm. and embracing vegan living. That was Davina Go, plant-based lifestyle advocate in conversation with Lim Suan on The Bigger Picture. For the full conversation, search for Putting On Our Malaysian Vegan Glasses to Make Veganism Accessible on bfm.my or our app. And so that, in some ways, I think sets us up for the rest of our conversation today because really um, it is the end of or the tail end of Veganuary um, in which people challenge themselves to take on a vegan diet throughout the month of January. And we're asking you whether this is something you've ever considered uh, or in general, whether you've made any sort of radical shift in your lifestyle and what kind of messaging would nudge you into actually doing it. Again, those numbers, you can call us double seven double three two nine hundred, 2900 send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, we have lots of messages already. Let's start with this from Zai who says... I love my meat. I can settle for lab-grown meat. I can even settle for insects. Unless there is a heavy tax relief, it will not be likely for me to remove in meat intake from my diet. Barbecue is just too good. Yeah, I think the... Um yeah, what can I say, Sal? You know, I, I, I love meat too. So this is my problem. But I also see, and I, you know, I just watched a documentary on like Korean beef eating, and what I, what I learned from that was not only their respect for the animal. Which that one really glamorizes it. Also, <laughs> yeah. I know the one you're talking about, but and they know, really go for it. Yeah, but you know, what it was beautiful about it was it respected the animal in the sense that if you're going to sacrifice an animal, you use every part of it, and you, uh, and you use it to its fullest. Right. That's one thing. But then there was other side of the documentary I thought was pretty dark, which was that it was just so much. People were constantly eating beef. And I think, um, and so I think moderation and all these things might also, I think there's an ethical dimension, but yeah, taxes are maybe a nice way of pushing people in the right direction. But I don't think politically it'd be very popular. So I'm really interested in this because I, I think that so much of it has to do with your actual relationship to food to begin with. Because if you're not an uh, if you're not a live-to-eat person, then some of this in theory should be simpler because you're not motivated by food, by the taste of food, by you know cooking, by, by all these different things. And so theoretically... Um, That's 2% of the population. Yeah, so the this rest the of us live to eat. Come on. <laughs> I know, I know. I do too. Um, and so because if you're like that, then the conversation is, is going to be quite different because, Tsai, you specifically mentioned lab-grown meat and insects, which I guess is an acknowledgement of the worries around something like uh, industrial farming or animal cruelty. And so the theory being that if it's lab-grown or um, if you're eating something as plentiful as, as insects... Um, and theoretically, as, as you know, they don't feel as much pain, um, then, then it indicates that the issue there is you just want the thing that you like eating, right? You acknowledge that there are ethical issues, but if we can get around the ethical issues, you'll keep having meat. Yeah, because what I think uh, all these um, examples of, you know, lab-grown meat and insects do is that they try to find a way of mimicking meat, right, in terms of texture. And that's why the nanka thing is so interesting. Jackfruit is actually used as a meat substitute, right? You take the nanka, you put it in an extrusion machine, and out comes some sort of patty that can be molded into in ways that meat actually uh, is, is, you know, available for. So uh, I think there's that, and I, th I love those experiments that get people kind of leaving meat, but, the, but still holding on to the pleasures of meat eating. 
Keep those thoughts coming. Uh, We'd like to hear from you whether you've ever considered becoming a vegan or a vegetarian or in general making a radical shift in your lifestyle and what is the thing that would nudge you into actually doing it. So far, we've heard taxes. I think that there must be better (laughs) And alternatives. And And alternatives, yes. Uh, That number to call is (coughs) 7733-2900. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Bringing fresh meaning. BFM 89.9. It's 6.38. You're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sherrod. And today we are talking about becoming a vegan or a vegetarian. And this is because it is still Veganuary, um, which is the month of January where people challenge themselves to take on a vegan diet. So we're asking you for your thoughts, whether you've ever considered becoming a vegan or a vegetarian and what might nudge you into actually making that change. You can call 7733 send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. We've got a caller with us. Um, Yuvarani, good evening. What are your thoughts? Hi. Uh, so yeah, um, for me, um, the, the nudge... Personally, was uh, guilt and realization. Uh, growing up, I mean, being a Hindu, um, my my mother used to practice like on selective days of the week. Um, you know, we are asked to be vegetarian, but I I've always rebelled by asking, you know, why only certain days and not why all days. So, uh, in in that sense, it didn't really stick to me. And you know, we we tend to be rebels at a younger age. But I remember clearly, uh, I think in year 2015, um, at that time I was conducting a class on um, an environmental subject and we were watching a documentary called Cowspiracy. So um, that was when, like, out of nowhere, um, it just hit me that, um, okay, meat consumption sort of, you know, what sort of contribution that it actually uh what sort of harm that it actually makes, I mean, it actually puts out there on the environment and how I could actually change, uh, you know, change, at least do something about it. And that didn't come easily. I mean, overnight, I I mean, overnight I decided to become a vegetarian um, and my colleagues, my friends, my family, everyone was questioning. It, it wasn't easy because uh, you get questions like, um, are you sure when you look at chicken, don't you feel tempted to eat? And it's it, surprisingly, I didn't because, you know, it, the, the, the guilt and realization that I had at that moment really shaped my thoughts. And I tried my level best to practice it. Uh, but the challenges were also the fact that um, it, it wasn't really convenient uh, to to become a vegetarian, a full-time vegetarian or even vegan at that point of time because I stay away from my family, so I would need to cook because the nearest uh, food options were uh, fast food outlets and the only vegetarian, I mean, the only fast food outlet that offers vegetarian uh, selection uh, was Subway. And that's like only one menu out of the entire, uh, you know, list that they have. So the challenges were inconvenience and uh at the beginning stage, friends tend to um, find it hard to adapt because then they have they would need to consider uh, the, the places that they choose to eat and all that. But um, I realized over the years, uh, it sort of rubs off on them. They might not be uh, a vegetarian or a vegan, but uh, they tend to understand those who really are close to you. Um, like the ones uh, that I went on a trip to Taiwan last year. So my friends actually understood and they managed to plan the trip in such a way that I would get what I, I mean, I would get the food that I need to eat and they would also get the food that they would like to try. So um, I guess it, it starts off as a guilt. Uh, a guilt is guilt and uh, it's a, a strong nudge. Uh, but uh, the acceptance from those around you actually plays a long, uh, plays a, a, a lot of um how to say, plays a significant role in allowing you to hold on to that, uh, you know, your uh, your ideology mm-hmm. or your principles in that sense. Can I ask you, you're now a vegetarian. <laughs> Would you ever go over to veganism? Um I, I guess I would weigh on the convenience of it. Uh, I know there are a lot of options, uh, but um, I'm, I'm still not so much into the... Uh, the processed uh, plant-based 
uh, you know, food that they have right now. Because if you look at the content, uh, for me, I still feel like uh, it, it could be better. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, veganism is something that uh, I feel like um, it, it's something that you need a system to support. Because, like, if you go to places like India, it's easy because you don't have to pick a vegetarian sh- uh, restaurant to get your food. All restaurants serve a good range of vegetarian food. So then, you know, then you can choose. But right now, you see some of the uh, the menus where they have, uh, you know, put in some elements of vegan uh, choices. But it's a lot on the processed uh you know, like soy meat, the mock meats and all that. So uh, the nutritious value behind it is not as strong to convince me to actually move on to that part of it. Yeah. Ivarani, thank you so much for calling and for sharing. I think actually that point about convenience is such a good one. And it's one that's also been reflected by AW who says, I would turn to vegetarian foods if... Firstly, more eatery options are available and accessible at most places. Currently, it's quite hard to find vegetarian food with the exception of shopping malls and CBD. Uh, Secondly, affordable and reasonable price. Yeah, so AW, I mean, you point to a kind of chicken or egg kind of problem, right? Well, actually with vegans neither but (laughs) (laughs) yes go on (laughs) indeed Uh, it's a metaphor but you know um i used to live in brickfields and the options weren't just in you know kind of hindu indian vegetarian food but also buddhist vegetarian food which i love because i had all the plump you know mushrooms that i could ever want though it was a buddhist vegetarian without onions and garlic so there was that kind of a vegetarian as well yeah and but you know i think it depends on where you situate yourself in the country you might actually be able to find that you know these options are actually naturally occurring they're just part of the cuisine i would also add that um aw i i get where you're coming from if you are someone like me who also can't Look, I know that it's a very privileged thing to say. I can't eat the same thing all the time, but I do struggle. Um, I, I find my my life very bleached of joy when I <laughs> have a limited diet, when I'm eating either the same things over and over again, or um, it, I, I just, I'm not somebody who finds a lot of happiness in doing that. And actually when I was eating more plant-based, eating more vegetarian food, uh, that's why I often prepared my own more often than not because I wanted to be able to have a variety and not just always kind of head to the vegetarian mixed rice store or, you know, just have that kind of limited run of options. Yeah, and it goes back to what Yuvarani said as well, because I think people who are looking at some of the vegan options, and you know, as that becomes more mainstream and the, the attempts to scale up the production of you know, meat alter- plant-based meat alternatives, there is a lot of processed options, and people might not want to go there either. But I speak uh. as somebody who, I just want to put it out there, I am a meat, a- meat eater, and a I meat- do, <laughs> a meat eater, and I do love uh, meat. So let us know. Um, we are with, with that rallying cry. Um, we're talking <laughs> <It's confession>. about <laughs> uh, we're talking about eating more plant based, or at least, or becoming a vegan, becoming a vegetarian. And we're asking you for your thoughts. Have you ever considered doing this, or in general, a radical shift in your lifestyle? And what would actually get you there? What would nudge you into doing it? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Bruce Freddie Morrissey, BFM eighty nine. It is coming up to 6.48 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sherrod. We're talking today about uh, making that choice to become a vegan or a vegetarian uh, because it is still veganuary. I... (laughs) I'm going to confess that I don't like saying the name a lot. I, because the option, you can say veganery. I, I don't like that either. <laughs> I think increasingly I'm finding you, that... The month of vegans. <laughs> I'm finding that this name is best written and not best said. Okay. I think, you know, but anyway, vegan veganuary, in case you haven't heard of it before, although we've been talking about it now for a while, is a challenge for people throughout the month of January to take on a vegan diet. And so since January is winding down, we thought now was a good time to talk about it. So have you ever considered going vegan or vegetarian or in general making a radical shift in your lifestyle? What would nudge you into doing it? You can call 7733 
send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We have actually, I'm just going to get to this from Munif because Munif is not talking about um, vegetables or food. He's talking about urine. Um, Munif says, I used to hold in my pee for long, long hours. Not purposely, but it was a lifestyle problem regardless. So this is the lifestyle question. I get lost working on my laptop, designing the whole day. Then I go home and get lost in video games for hours. By the time I realise I need to pee, it's always when I'm at a point where I have to sprint to a toilet. So naturally, one fine day I came down with a nasty case of micro batukarang. So small that it can't be detected or surgically removed by the doctor, but just enough to inflict excruciating pain from within. It was the worst pain I've ever felt in my life, no contest. So the lifestyle change for me is this. I just go, even when I don't feel like peeing. Consistent releases throughout the day instead of a single code red damn about to break scenario. Pain is the best teacher indeed. Learn from my ignorance, people. Don't take this for granted. Munif, Munif, Munif. You know, my first thought in hearing about your plight was uh, Moraji Desai, a f- former uh, Prime Minister of India. Anyway, I won't go into his pee story, but uh, let's, let's stick to yours, Munif. The question of pain uh, and b- pain being an incentive for actually making these radical changes, I think, which is the, 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 you know, the lesson in your story, right? Um, <laughs> yes. But the pain that we might suffer might not actually be on an individual level when it comes to vegetarianism or moving away from Uh, you know, uh, the meat-based diet that we have uh, globally, it might be something around climate change. And so it can get very dark, I think, when you look up that particular scenario. Yes, but I think um, I I wanted to read Munif's story partly because I actually think that it's good advice. Um, But also because... Oh, I see. No, no, in general, but also because um, to your point about how climate change is... I wouldn't call it an invisible problem, but it's a creeping huge problem. It can be hard to see what an individual change can do to it. You can feel very hopeless. Um, in comparison to the acute pain that Munif is talking about versus the general larger psychic pain that something like climate change can cause, I think that gets you to a point of understanding why it is that sometimes there just isn't that sticking power for something like like a diet change. Because... Um, Because looking into the eyes of a cow, you might think for that moment, you know what, I don't want to eat meat anymore. These are gentle creatures and and I don't want to do it. Um, But I think that the disconnect from a cow to a steak for most people is so great that it just doesn't stick. Yeah, and it's true. And I think something about the way in which uh, these meats are presented to us, uh, you know, divorces us from the yes, animal yes. and all that. So I think th- I think that's fa- uh, fairly well documented, right? Um, but uh, going back to the fact that, you know, we've always... The change is necessary. The question is, what will nudge you? And if you're a campaigner, what would you be the story? So I love the story um, in the interview with Davina because she has a positive story to tell. And it's about flavours and it's things that we love. So why wouldn't it stick? Yes. Yeah, that's true. Because um, otherwise, we're, we're, in, we're in the pain <laughs> segment. Um, all right. We've got a voice note. This is from Bing. The vegan dinghy. Well look into vegetarianism first in the first place I I, I believe that uh, it has been around for a long time you know plant-based diet uh, in vegetarian food in fact uh, I think the the Asians would have actually championed this if you look into a lot of the replacement food uh, meat replacements is actually soy based right and uh, and even mushroom based in most Chinese or Asian uh, culinary cuisines for vegetarian, right? But uh, when it comes to the vegan part of things, where you put ecosystems, uh, pollution, uh, animal rights, etc., well, I think it's a bit. You have gone a bit too far. In fact, I would call most of these people hypocrites, nah. Come to think of it, if you are a vegan, you look for uh, what plant-based diet kind of uh, alternatives. Think about the packaging that comes with those kinds of food. Right? Think about the energy you need to use to produce that kind of food. Right? Including the energy you need to spend on transporting and keeping uh, these foods readily available for consumption. You know, the fridge that's associated, the freezers that's associated. 
it actually takes up more power. And now you have these events where the whole people from all over the world would fly in. Think about the carbon footprint. Right? The, the best way is always direct. Uh, a piece of lettuce into your stomach. Right? A piece of uh, brinjal sliced into your stomach. Rather than something that you produce from flour, convert in uh, or soya bean and you convert it into a kind of meat replacement we're thinking about all the energy that you need to consume to produce those type of things that's why whenever i go and have vegetarian food i always criticize those vegetarian guys you know why are you thinking of eating their chicken and eating a, a vegetarian chicken when you're the the idea of actually being a vegetarian is to clear your your mind, you shouldn't even be thinking about having chicken in the vegetarian form. You should be thinking of having a vegetable. And seriously, a lot of vegetarians, right, do not consume anything green in color. You know, you know they're mostly starch-based diet. Now you think about the vegans as well, equally the same. So it's a bunch of hypocrites here, lah. <coughs> Okay, well, bing, bing, bing. I mean, I don't know if that broadside against uh, vegans and vegetarians is fair. Um, uh, and I, I think the jury's still out on, uh, you know, the, the net effect of a, a shift, at least on a, on a large scale, from, you know, meat-based to plant-based. Uh, I think there's still calculations being made. And yes, if we still... Everything being equal, this globalized world and transport, maybe, you know, the shift won't be good enough. But I, I must say, I, I take exception to your idea. There's one idea. And I, uh, I went to a restaurant many years ago in North Thailand. It was a Buddhist restaurant. And it says, you know, be kind to animals, don't eat them. And, you know, it had a lot of that mock meat stuff, right? And I think for it was very clear they were bringing people in to enjoy the food. In, in some of it, yeah, it looked like me. It didn't matter because the consequence was an animal's life was not sacrificed for that meal. And that was good enough. I, so I, uh, I'm not sure, again, um, whether we can say 90% of you know, <laughs> vegan or vegetarian diets are, are soy or starch-based. I think a fair amount of it is. I, I understand where you're coming from in the sense that if you look at what might be commonly on the menu, what dominates menus um, at ve some vegetarian spots, uh, maybe even particularly Chinese vegetarian spots, there are a lot of mock meat options. I actually think that that has to do with how we value meat, by the way, uh, because in order for restaurants to be able to charge the amounts they might need in order to turn a profit, they need to give you either meat or something that they're calling meat, right? Because you pay more for that. Nobody ever argues um, that they're, they're going to pay... In essence, we are used to paying more for meat. So I think that's a part of it. The other thing is, um, I guess, if we don't think about it as the majority of someone's diet, but instead as a gateway uh, for people to get used to eating more vegetarian food, then it makes sense la, as to why people might find something that looks and smells like fish, for example, to be easier than here's a piece of white tofu. Enjoy yeah. it now. Yeah. But, you know, and I think sometimes, and I think to some extent, the mock meat segment of the menu is its own thing, right? Yeah. It, it, and it doesn't have to be justified. I mean, it can be, but it doesn't have to be justified I, as a gateway, gateway to something else. Yes. And it, it is what it is. Can I say that I'm a big fan of vegetarian fish? The, the kind that's wrapped in seaweed, I love it. Yeah, it like. I don't think it's fish. I mean, I eat fish anyway. I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian, but I'm a big fan of that. I don't know. It's its own dish. Yeah, because of the savoriness, right? Yes. And, the, and, the, and the kind of, yeah, the flavors it captures. I actually used to buy that a lot. I it's must nice. say. It's uh, nice. Speaking of flavors, oh, do we have time? Okay. Um, PJ says, no. January is the best time of the year to eat. <laughs> Year-end <laughs> celebrations, pre-CNY dinners, company dinners. No way am I sacrificing such debauchery. And debauchery is probably the key word here. <laughs> so yes, PJ, happy. I think the idea is um, just to bring into consciousness uh, a shift in a conversation. This is not coercive <laughs> in any way. The vegans don't have 
control over the planet and they can't force you to follow their ideology. Uh, but just trying to persuade you that it's something to think about. I love the thing though, um, pointing out that maybe January doesn't work for everybody because it tends to be thought of that way, right? V- v- <laughs> Veganuary. Um, people also do dry January. There are lots of things that people try and do as big changes at the start of the year. Um, and I, I think what PJ is pointing out is that maybe in the Asian context, doesn't work. You know, for some of us, it, it doesn't work. But there's a nice gap, don't you think, PJ, between uh, the, the debauchery of Christmas and New Year and then the impending debauchery of Chinese New Year. So you have a whole month to just kind of chill and Or maybe and I just break. keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> that that yes. seems to be the argument here. Um, all right, let us know. Essentially, the conversation today is about whether you would consider making a radical shift in your diet or lifestyle, specifically whether you would or have whether you would consider going vegan or vegetarian. What would get you there if you're on the fence? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine and tweet us at BFM Radio. Bole for Malaysia. Ha. BFM eighty nine point nine, the business station. It's 7.08 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sherrod. We're talking about veganism, vegetarianism. Uh, this is because it is... Sherrod, you say it. What is it? It is the month in which you're encouraged to think about the possibility of changing your lifestyle, especially your diet. Say the name. Veganuary. <laughs> Veganuary, as well as veganuary, veganuary. Is that, that yes, we, we decided veganuary. Yeah. Sorry, even I forgot what it was. Good. I've been struggling with this this whole show. I'm tired of saying it. But anyway, um, because it is that time of month uh, or that time of year when people think about it, uh, we thought we'd discuss it. So tell us, have you ever considered uh, a radical shift in your diet, your lifestyle, um, maybe going vegan or vegetarian? What would nudge you into getting there? That number two. Call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, if we return now to the messages, um, okay, I want to contrast. Um, firstly, Amos says, why not a conversation about meat eaters? Is it bad for health? We don't generally hear about them. I'm just wondering. Yeah, I think, Amos, to be fair, I think we don't generally hear about them or the specific prob- issue around meat eating because they're the dominant sort of mode that people have, right, when it comes to their diets. And in some sense, veganuary is an attempt to Think about uh, an emerging trend in uh, diet and thinking about health. And so that's why there is a focus, right? We don't even have to talk about meat eating. Something happens all year around, right? And so uh, though I think in this conversation about being nudged one way or the other, change your lifestyle, it could actually work the other way around. Vegans or vegetarians who have, for whatever reason, decided to become meat eaters, right? So that's also a possible direction of change. Actually, I've heard of that happening quite a lot. Um, There was an entire article about it. Some people became ethical butchers. I don't know. But um, I wanted to read that in contrast to this from Fadzli, who says, I'm an obligate carnivore. I actually get headaches and cold sweats if I don't eat meat within 24 hours. That said, I'm also fond of plant-based foods. I just need meat as well. If someone could trick me into believing that tofu is a steak, (laughs) then I'd be open to making the switch. Until then, highly unlikely. When I say plant-based, by the way, I mean actual vegetables, not those monstrosities they whip up in mockery of real meat. I've also been involved in slaughtering and butchering animals, particularly for Raya Korban. I was five the first time I got involved and I cried when I saw a cow being slaughtered. My late grandmother told me that's why it's important to never waste food because a life was given to nourish us and wasting is the highest form of disrespect. It counts both for meat and plants. Yeah, firstly, that's interesting because I had to look up this expression you use, obligate carnivore, which is actually is a term and, and there is a definition of it. The, I, I've never met anybody who um, uh, is an obligate carnivore. I mean, someone who physiologically is impacted by a lack of animal protein. But uh, I believe you. I believe you. And yes, uh, you, can't trick, you can trick the mind, but you can't possibly trick your body in the case of, you know, the tofu as steak. Though... I've seen some wonderful recipes for a cauliflower steak, which is, I think, one of those ways in which you can um, substitute meat for with plant-based, with a plant, actually, not a plant-based substance. It's actually a plant. Uh, Fatli, I'm really glad you brought up 
the the slaughtering of the animal. I, I mean, I, that's a harsh thing to say. I, I'm not sure anybody at 7.12 in the evening wants to hear that exact phrase. But um, I think about it a lot because truth be told, if I had to... If I had to kill my own meat, I, I think that I probably would not. I, I don't know that if that's something that I could go through on a regular basis. But because I do eat meat and because I endeavour to be not so intense a hypocrite, I do <laughs> think about it in those terms, uh, in terms of food waste. I also really believe in nose-to-tail eating. Um, I, I try to eat... I try to be as open in terms of what I will eat from an animal as possible because of this issue of waste. Yeah, and I think, you know, coming back to, I think, Munich's idea of pain, I mean, I think uh, generations who have gone through particular crisis uh, that impacted food, like, you know, war situation, you learn to, you know, eat perhaps less meat because meat will be one of the things that is quite scarce. Uh, and you learn to not be wasteful. It's just the, the impact of our context. I mean, we live in an era of play right since the end of the second world war and for most part of the parts of the world in malaysia i think uh, we can attest to that we have too much and and maybe that's not been good for us uh in terms of making those kind of ethical choices that you're talking about we have uh, also a bunch of people okay shasha says i stopped eating chicken in 2016 after accidentally witnessing chickens being culled in a market so i guess ptsd from that incident spurred me into eating less meat i don't consume beef i won't say no to lamb and pork occasionally i have tried being vegetarian for january and i can say that i'm 80 percent compliant vegan food is honestly too expensive in malaysia for example the additional two ringgit for oat or soy milk yeah, so th- there's the cost issues, uh, Sasha. But, uh, you know, I, I just want to take up the issue that you say about being 80% compliant. I think that's very interesting because in my day, when I did become a vegetarian, there was no flexitarian option. In fact, the, the, the language hadn't developed. So what happened if you fell off the wagon? Guilt. You beat uh, yourself up about it. Well, I actually used to have these nightmares, to be honest. Um, it was really weird. But I had these meat-eating nightmares. And I'm going to the details because they're quite gory. But I, it was guilt. <laughs> And, and I, I don't, I don't think guilt is bad or shameful. I mean, maybe there's a Catholic part of me that thinks this is okay. Uh, but, um, but I do think that uh, that eighty percent compliance is humongous in terms of the net consequence for uh, not just your diet, but for the planet. Better something than nothing, I, I think, is the thinking here. Yeah, I mm. mean, I, I'm the kind of middle of the road, you know, Confucian, golden mean <laughs> kind of guy. Uh, by the way, I also once saw, uh, when I was a child, frogs being culled, and, and that ended it for me. Yeah. Th- that one's harsh. That, that one's very cruel if you've witnessed it. Mm. That's true. I mean, I think I think the culling of any animal, any yes. sentient being, uh, and I would include uh, insects in this. And I know people are kind of thinking, well, insects aren't quite and don't empathize with insects that kind of look funny. Uh, but um, I, I, I do believe personally, Lynn, that, you know, all... I mean, animals eat other animals. We are animals. We will eat other animals. <laughs> it's all okay. I must say, when I was in, in the northeast of Thailand and I was presented with all kinds of insects to eat, I could not eat the ones that looked like roaches. The grasshoppers and all the other stuff I could not identify. What about the the, the weird kind of sluggy looking ones? Oh, yes. In Myanmar on the streets, you get this where they they feed on the milk and then they throw those slugs into hot oil. I think we're putting people off dinner. but (laughs) No, no. So actually, the thing is, and, you know, if you go to a Rakhine um, restaurant in Yangon, lovely insects are... on the menu that are very tasty. They're and a very- potential solution to some of the things that we're talking about. A- absolutely. Mm. Uh, a, m- a number of people talking about halal. Mizi says, I would become a vegan if I had to slaughter the animal myself. Otherwise, I wouldn't change things because I do like my meat. However, when I have difficulty in getting halal food, especially when I'm travelling abroad, I look out for vegan products as an alternative. Madiha also saying went vegetarian halfway through my studies abroad. I was simply too lazy to look for and prepare halal meat. Vegan and vegetarian options were simply more accessible there. And now I adhere to a mostly pescatarian diet as avoiding red meat seems healthier, but I'm also genuinely no longer able to stand the smell of chicken and beef. I wouldn't mind going fully vegan if there were better choice and affordability. Liana, meanwhile... I'm not vegetarian nor vegan. I just want to say I adore those who decide to be one. Having to keep it halal when traveling is hard enough for me. I can't imagine having to change my whole diet. Kudos, you guys. 
Yeah, very interesting. Uh, well, I want to pick up on something that Madiha says about the smell of chicken and beef, right? I think what when I speak to somebody who's a kind of lifelong born into a vegetarian culture, they also had these mental blocks when it comes to say something like the smell of meat. I mean, literally makes them nauseous. But so so actually for them to change is also quite an extraordinary leap. And I I know and I don't know if anybody's had this experience of overcoming some very uh, deeply internalized views of what is acceptable to eat and not acceptable to eat and therefore changing their diet radically. Keep those thoughts coming. It is that radical change that we're discussing. Have you ever considered becoming a vegetarian or furthering that a vegan? What would nudge you into actually doing it? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Bodacious, fabulous minds. BFM eighty nine point nine, the business station. It is exactly seven nineteen, and you are listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sherrod. Simple question today, would you go vegetarian or vegan? In fact, have you done it? Um, and if you haven't, what would nudge you into doing it? What would persuade you? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Let's see. Um, we have some reports of people who have tried and then not done so well. Roberto says, I did try once shifting totally overnight from being a carnivore to a vegetarian. However, it's really difficult. Didn't last even a month. I remember watching all these documentaries on Netflix and on YouTube about the damage that we create as humans by consuming all these cattle or poultry. I didn't remember why I stopped. However, having said that, I have reduced the amount of meat in my diet ever since. Julian says, my friend went vegetarian when he was studying in the UK and after he came back, he fell off the wagon after being faced with rendang, satay, chicken curry, etc. Yeah, the being faced with rendang, satay, chicken curry. For some a meat eater, right? I, I think it's a huge challenge. And that's why I fell off the wagon. Um, well, I had dengue first and I was in the hospital <laughs> and then my family said, look, just eat what they give you. You need it. So earlier you referenced a former prime minister, was it, of India? Yes, Monarchy yeah. Desai. Uh, I'm now going to reference Bong Joon-ho because, um, so Bong Joon-ho, who famously directed, of course, Parasite, but also Okja, uh, which if you've watched it, is very much about about the the, meat the horrors industry. of the meat, meat industry. industry yeah. um, so he actually did, I believe, go either vegetarian or vegan in the course of making the movie. Uh, because obviously, I think it's very hard when you're faced with, with that kind of story to not. So he did. And then he did also say that he fell off the wagon when he went back to Korea. Same thing. That when faced with, um, when faced with the delicious cuisines <laughs> of his homeland, um, it was just irresistible. Yeah, and then what happens when, say you you can actually get your produce that's ethically farmed or ethically grown and so on and so forth, does that then uh, allow you, or do you allow yourself then to say, well, I have those meats? Or do you say to yourself, okay, I just won't eat so much, right, and, and, and pose a challenge? But I do want to say, I want to read something that Yvonne has sent. Is that I'd rather give up my car to help save the environment than my steak. And Yvonne, you know, I don't drive a car and I don't have children. My carbon footprint is so small that I've always said this to myself when I pop a roast in the oven. I can afford to have this because I've made so many sacrifices. Not that I really want to have children or a car, to be honest. Well, I... Are you lost words? Um, a little bit. Um, I... <laughs> I see how if the environment is your main thing, that then you can do these sorts of calculations. So I go back to the fact that people do it for a variety of reasons, including concerns about animals. And in, in those instances, the car and the steak sadly do not offset each other. So it really depends on why. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think the... Uh, so we have Perry who says, I always wanted to change uh, my diet due to my health. But as much as the brain says must, the heart and the tongue are unwilling. <laughs> and, you know, um, I did watch a documentary yesterday on cow tongue. So it's very strange. It was about using every part uh, of the animal. Again, this comes back to the Korean documentary. That <laughs> dominated my imagination. Yeah. Um, okay, I think we do have a caller on the line with us. Um, we've got Ashim. Ashim, good evening. What are your thoughts? Hi, good evening. Can you hear me? Yes. 
Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it may sound like a bit of a like a devil's advocate. See, uh, the, 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 my, I'm non-veg, of course, and uh, uh, the, the, the whole thing here is that, you know, we were created, human beings were created to be non-veg, non-vegans. Okay, that's the order of nature. Non-veggies and vegetarians have gone against the order of nature. If you look at the ecosystem, the, the way it was all created, the way our teeth and our dentition has been designed, we were meant to eat both veg and non-veg, okay? And uh, this whole thing about cruelty and all that, you know, like uh, the, the, the feeling of guilt that is uh, put on to uh, non-veggers. I mean, you don't, all you have to do is watch a documentary of National Geography and see how the carnivores, uh, you know, attack and kill the herbivores. But that's how it is. That's, that's what nature was meant to be. Uh, uh, you know, you shouldn't feel guilty about this. And, and, and imagine if you took away the, the predators, what would happen? And, you know, the whole ecosystem would collapse and there will not be planet Earth anymore. Well, so I think, can we, I ask you a question, though? Yeah. You know, because it's very interesting sure. you use the order of nature kind of argument. But are there things in the order of nature that we as human beings, as a species, part of the part of the natural world, have graduated from because we have higher order aspirations, that we have philosophies and ideologies and religion that say that we can give up things that are maybe part of our uh, nature, but we have culture. What do you make of those kind of arguments? But it's all man-made. I mean, it was, it was not created that way. It was all like, you know, people preaching what they want to preach and how they feel about it and trying to force things down on, on against the nature of order of nature. Well, um, Ashim, can, can I ask not, whether, yeah. I, because um, I guess, do you feel like there is an attempt to kind of force people to become vegan or vegetarian? Um, you know, because it sounds as if... Very subtly, right. the, the guilt trip and putting them onto a guilt trip. Yeah, that, you know, you're not doing the right thing. You should not be, you know, uh, be killing and be cruel and all that, you know. So, you know, you might as well tell the carnivores not to do it. Train them. Take them out of the forest, okay? And be, and, and make, train them how to be kind, not to eat, uh, not to be a predator. The whole system will collapse. Ashim, thank you so much for calling. I, I think actually that... Um, the point about guilt not working there is interesting because in some ways that's the conversation that we've also been having alongside uh, why some people choose or do not choose to do it, right? Um, and that is what gets you there. And so clearly, um, I think, Ashim, you represent a fair amount of people. I, I think guilt and, and that feeling of being guilt-tripped over something like food, um, clearly for a fair amount of people, it doesn't work. Yeah, one thing though, it, I think for uh, and I, I feel for vegetarians is that they don't have to say anything. They don't even have to, you know, to, you know, preach their philosophy. Their mere existence is a threat to somebody who feels, you know, they want to eat meat and such. And so they get sometimes get all kinds of pushback, even though they themselves might be quite passive and personal in their choices. Um. MY says, I'm not vegan, but I don't cook meat, um, so I eat meat outside. I have gone full uh, whole foods plant-based as a diet for two full weeks, and I can tell you that I lifted my heaviest weights during that time. You have plenty of energy. It's easy to start. Two meals a day is very achievable. Breakfast like oatmeal uh, being the easiest. Lunch, you have tofu, tempeh, dal, and so on. Yeah, so there used to be this idea, I think it's still around, that actually if you move to a plant-based diet... Uh, you, you wouldn't become, have energy. You yeah. wouldn't have energy, right? And so, and there are people who argue against it. I remember in university there was a guy who was ripped and, you know, he was completely vegetarian. So, I mean, but I think, to be fair, and I think it goes back to our oblivate uh, carnivore earlier, is that some everybody's different, right? Bodies actually respond to food differently. And so maybe you need uh, to think about that and it's it's hard to have a one-size-fits-all kind of solution. So Dee says, on the topic of vegetarianism, I grew up being vegetarian on certain days of the week for religious reasons. I still practice uh, the same now because of habit. Due to that, I'm quite used to eating vegetarian food, but I do like my non-veg food as well. Growing up, my folks used to tell me that you need to eat veggies for good health. But when I went to uni, uh, vegetarian options were not too available and I had to resort to eating flour or dough-based foods like roti canai, tose, fried food like fried rice, noodles. At that point, I realised that those kinds of food are not actually healthier just for the sake of being vegetarian. So if I'm not getting proper vegetables as part of my meal on vegetarian days, is it actually worth it? Nowadays, if I can't get proper vegetarian food, I just pass and eat a proper, nutritious, non-veg meal. 
Yeah, so I think, you know, D, you have um, a kind of balanced approach to things, right? And you're kind of looking at the larger picture about what actually is a is a healthy meal. Uh, but I, the conversation, I mean, Lynn, and you've said this many times, there are actually so many dimensions to it. It could be ethical, it could be political, it could be uh, that you're against, you know, the media industry, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, um, the question is what kind of choices are you making and what would persuade you to make a better choice? Well, and what that better choice looks like, right? Because it could be, uh, what what did we hear earlier? 80%, Shasha, talking about 80% of it working out. And like I used to try and eat very much uh, one plant-based meal a day. My body really did not react well to that. Um, but in attempting to do it, it was interesting because it was much more achievable. And because I only eat two meals a day, in essence, what we're saying is that 50% of my diet is plant-based. Right, so flexitarians rule. Yeah, um, I'm just saying that it's... it felt better than doing nothing. I, I've gone back to doing nothing, but we'll <laughs> leave it at that. Um, we have Donald who says, I'm a vegetarian for over 20 years. My four kids um, also were vegetarians while they were inside their mum's womb. She was a vegetarian for 30 plus years, still counting. We take eggs and dairy. You're right. We do not need to preach, but our mere presence sometimes makes our friends uneasy. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a point of reflection for those who are meat eaters, whether they're really responding to the person in front of them or to their own a maybe sense of guilt to whatever it is that might be quite internalized. Thank you, everybody, for sharing your your thoughts today on going plant-based. Um, that has been the topic of our show over the last hour and a bit. And you've been listening to Inside Story, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.